Well, folks, it's Tuesday night. Welcome to another episode of the Kentucky Ghost Hunter. As always, this is the Kentucky Ghost Hunter with my special co-host, Kevin Quatman. Say hi, Kevin. Hey, hello, everybody. I'm going to give a shout-out real quick to Andy Puckett. Yeah, I was going to actually do that, too. Hey, Andy, is he listening to the show tonight? I think he's listening tonight. Well, Andy, if you're listening to the show, give us a salute. We can't see you, but we'll mentally know you did it, buddy. <laughs> anyway, we've got a couple good guests on tonight. As, as you know from the, the last episode, we were going to try to do Octagon House. Now, a lot of people do not know uh, Bear, but Bear is actually the gentleman that is the paranormal I guess guru there does all the ghost tours and everything of the octagon house in Franklin, Kentucky. He's been pretty ill here lately. So our shout out also goes out to bear. Hope you get better. And, uh, we are going to, uh, do something a little different tonight. We, our first guest is Joshua Dreyer. Joshua is a screenwriter. He does a lot of other things too, but a lot of times when people are in the paranormal world, what they try to do is they want to get onto reality TV or something like that. I'm sure everybody's, seen the YouTube shows and even me and Kevin have experienced networks that have called us and said, Hey, you know, we want to try to put around a reality show. Of course they said we weren't hip enough at the time. So I, I guess, I guess we're just not hip, Kevin. <laughs> so we were too old, but whatever it was, there's still a lot of youngins out there that want to do that. And, uh, that's why we kind of brought Joshua on here today as a screenwriter. He, he's also an author and he does other things, but, uh, Joshua is, uh, He's with us today. So, Joshua, tell us about yourself, buddy. Yeah, yeah. So, I've uh, written several novels, short stories, uh, some screenplays, uh, been published uh, several times. I did some uh, freelance work for the Los Angeles Times for a few years, uh, several years ago, writing short stories for them. Um, yeah, here recently, I've been uh, getting more into the independent indie publishing side of things. And uh, I've been doing a lot of different genres. I mean, I stick mainly to, like, the horror and sci-fi, Western, fantasy, things like that. But I'll delve into some other areas from time to time, too. Uh, yep, live here peacefully and quietly in the hills of West Virginia, where we have our own little, I suppose, sort of paranormal things here and there, like the uh, Trans-Allegheny uh, Lunatic Asylum and some places like that that uh, we're known for. Maybe not quite as many as you have down there in Kentucky, but <laughs> we do have a, a, a place or two up here that uh, tends to bring ghost hunters in and out. Cool. Now, let me ask you a quick question here. Um, as of my intro was saying, there's a lot of people out there right now, and I'm sure you've all, you've already met some of those that are wanting to get into maybe writing about their experiences or getting into movies or something like that. And as a screenwriter, as an author, what kind of advice would you give them, especially the beginners that's never done anything like that before? Sure. Um, if you're a beginner and you're wanting to do uh, creative writing of any sort, really, uh, learn the craft is probably the first bit of advice I would give to anybody, uh, whether it's you know a novel, uh, a screenplay, a, a stage play, whatever you want to write. It's, it's a craft, so you want to uh, make sure that you know, of course, what, or in this case, you know, English, you want to know all the syntax and the grammar and the ins and outs of that. But beyond that, you want to learn about, like, storytelling and storytelling techniques and how that may or may not work. In reality, TV is a little bit different, but, that's, you know, you still want to tell a complete story with, you know, a focus on a main character and then what you're trying to achieve. There's got to be a goal that you're after, whether it's, you know, finding proof, evidence, you know, solving the mystery, you know, whatever it happens to be. 
<clears throat> but yeah, you definitely want to find those things and those and the, and the story tech storytelling techniques and learn those pretty pretty uh, solid to start with. So what what would you say to like? Let's just say we have an individual group out there that is uh, they've decided that they're doing pretty good investigations. They've got the areas. They've got themselves a little camera crew or whatever like is that. What uh, what steps would you take with them if they were to come to you and say, hey, we want you to come up with a storyline for us? What would you go through with them to come up with that storyline? Sure, sure. Um, and it's going to, assuming it was based on them, and again, I guess you're talking more of a reality. Show well, either way, some of them are wanting to do documentaries or something like that, too. Just, you know, kind of give a scenario oh. because there's a lot of people out there, they don't even know where to start. Right. Um, well, if you want to do that, um, you could write. Uh, in the case of a documentary uh, or even a reality show type uh, thing, you could write a script that's more of an outline than like a traditional screenplay because you're going to be on the fly, right? I mean, it's going to be kind of in the field, so to speak. So you're not really going to have everything nailed specifically down with lines and everything else. You're just going to have locations. Maybe it's a daytime shoot. Maybe it's a nighttime shoot. So you can uh, give your crew an idea of what they need to bring in terms of uh, film uh, lighting things like things of that sort and um, <clears throat> you'll want to give yourself an idea of who's going to be there who's required on the shoot personnel wise you know your cast who the focus is going to be on which teams are going to be where uh, of course audio is going to be a big component so having someone that's relatively savvy and tech savvy in the uh, audio realm is going to help you uh, and there's, you know, doing a lot of uh, editing afterwards and in post, as they say, I guess, um, will, uh, will come into play too. And just having uh, familiarity with uh, post-production editing software these days—it's not the cut and splice like the old the old days with real real film. But um, yeah, yeah, just uh, learning some of those editing softwares and things would probably help you to put together a finished product if you're wanting to do that again all by yourself in-house. As a screenwriter, and I'm sure you've done other things, um, how do, uh-huh. yeah. and I guess, I guess what, because when, when me, this happened to me and Kevin and our team, um, they actually approached mm-hmm. us and said, hey, let's do the screen test and everything. And of course they said, like I was saying in the intro, we weren't hip enough for them. You know, they've got, they want a certain <laughs> style and a certain technique. And uh, I guess we weren't willing to get okay. possessed every other day. <laughs> but uh, I, when somebody, or how do you, how do you approach somebody? Because as a screenwriter, you've dealt with the bigger people, I guess. And how does somebody approach a, let's say, a network or something like that? Because if I'm not mistaken, sometimes you have to do it through a lawyer or a, uh, or something like that. Is there a way to well, do it, or does it have to be through a lawyer? Not entirely. I mean, that's definitely advisable if if you want to go that route. Uh, some attorneys do take on clients, like in sort of a management and. Uh, nurturing mentorship kind of role <clears throat> because they know the business. They uh, obviously are going to know all the legalities of Hollywood and stuff, and they won't steer you wrong in that regard. Um, but that's not the only way to do it. Um, uh, you'd still want to obviously you know, consult with somebody if it comes down to a, a contract of some sort. Uh, but you can talk to, there's uh, entertainment lawyers out there that you could talk to, uh, or uh, not lawyers, but the entertainment managers. There's uh, agents, literary agents, specific to uh, screenwriting and show uh, pilots, that sort of thing. 
these days they tend to get swamped with a lot of submissions and stuff from uh, people like me, just standard screenwriters with you know, feature films or indie films, artistic films, as well as TV pilots and other things. So, you know, it's a little more of a competitive market, but you can still do it. Um, I would advise doing a little bit of that and looking into uh, approaching production companies out- outright. They may not want to hear um, the idea right up front because there's certain legalities and uh, release clauses that they may have to take so that they're saying, you know, we'll listen to you and uh, hear you out, and we may or may not pay for the rights to that because there's been, a, I guess, a lot of heat on that in the past and uh, people accusing others of stealing ideas. So you don't want to get in that mess. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, you could uh, approach production companies with, like, a basic query of, hey, are you taking new ideas for pilot shows, reality shows? We've got this idea we'd like to run by you. If you have any non-disclosure clauses you want us to sign and review, we can do that and then take it from there. So how did you get your start? I went through, uh, let's see, that was back in 2003, 2004. <clears throat> I just started online communities. I was writing with uh, Script Buddy. was one of the first uh, online screenwriting communities I started with, scriptbuddy.com. And I would just uh, write the scripts. I would learn uh, the ins and outs of how to put together, you know, uh, a uh, spec- speculation script and uh, post it up there. And it got popular. And it just became one of, like, the top five I guess, read scripts on that site, luckily. Uh, <clears throat> and I got approached by some people at that point that were wanting to uh, produce one of one of the three scripts that I had back in those days. And, yeah, I just kind of went from there. So it was hard work, I guess, though, right? Um, it does take elbow grease. Uh, persistence is definitely a thing. Uh, I've heard a lot of people that have been at it a lot longer than me that, you know, they'll, they'll tell you, you know, you may not make it on the first script or the second one, but by the time you write your third, fourth, fifth, you find your pattern, you find your voice, your groove, and you, you learn how to do it. And all the while you're doing that, you're learning and hopefully, you know, going into social media, especially these days, and networking with other people in the business, uh, whether it's agencies, uh, attorneys, you know, uh, even actors, directors, independent film companies, whoever you can find, just that's in the business and maybe uh, trade pointers, you know, say, Hey, I'll give your script a, a once over if you look at mine, that kind of thing. And, uh, and networking is another big part of, I guess, breaking in. If you want to call it that, it's just, it's, it's also who, you know, as much as what, you know, now you've done a lot of books out there. I know, uh, as far as paranormal is, it was fiction or nonfiction or was it both? Uh, well, let's see. Uh, Castle Ciphers, I guess, could be considered a little more nonfiction, and some of the others, like Restless, are definitely more just straight-up horror, uh, paranormal fiction. So, yeah, so I'd say I've done one, a little bit of both. So were you motivated by actual events when you wrote those books, or is it just all in your mind? Uh, part of it, like with Restless, was all just uh, imagination. <clears throat> uh, with, with Castle Ciphers and stuff, yeah, it was mostly motivated by some research I'd done on a, um, a property in north central West Virginia called the castle. And it, it had its own little uh, eerie stories and stuff that were associated with it. <clears throat> and it was one of those properties that had like an old uh, granite stone castle turret in one corner. And then the rest was like a wraparound stone mansion that had been built back in the 1870s. Right. 
and it had been abandoned. I can remember even going in high school when my grandparents lived in this town. You know, and you'd drive past it, and it was abandoned. It had that old rickety iron fence out front, and nobody was there, and it just reminded you of one of those really old, creepy haunted houses. So you knew something was up with it. So, uh, yeah, I I got into digging and investigating into that, and there was uh, ties back to uh, Western France with a uh, account and a countess, um, and it kind of correlated to some rumors that I had basically trailed down and through some of the local antique shops that there was a full set of French armor that nobody could figure out exactly where it came from or how it came to be in this little, you know, town in the middle of central West Virginia. And it turned out that the counts of this uh, family in the, in the uh, western region of France left it when he passed to the Post family that owned this mansion back in uh, the turn of the 20th century because their oldest son served in World War One as an air fighter pilot, got injured, hit with mustard gas, and was sent to the de Mylerbe family, which owned the, this chateau over there, and they basically kind of nursed him back to health and got him back here to the States. And the families became really close friends as a result of that. And so when he passed, he left uh, a suit of armor, among other things, other mementos that were listed in French in an old um, postcard that I've got that uh, was left by one of the previous owners of the property for me. And I've still got all those old letters. But, uh, yeah, they'd mentioned that he was going to leave some mementos to uh, Mr. and Mrs. Post here in West Virginia. And uh, one of those was a suit of armor, and the other was uh, some old French coins that, it's just speculation, I guess, at this point, but uh, as far as their net worth, there were 60,000 of them that were, that were allegedly sent with the armor. So no one's seen the coins, but i talked to the people in the um, antique shops in the, in the town of Buchanan, West Virginia, and then speaking to one of their owners, they said, yeah, we had this suit of armor, and we bought it on an auction from the property when it was being turned over for a foreclosure back in the 70s. So it did exist, and we knew it was there, but now that we can you know, corroborate the story of what your research has shown, it kind of makes more sense as to where it came from and why. And I asked about uh, you know the other part of it, like, okay, well, there were supposed to be 60,000 of these French coins that came across from the Demalherbs too, the posts, you know, as well as a part of this, you know, uh, mementos that they sent over. <clears throat> and they said that, you know, if it was something of that substantiated value, they certainly would have heard something or seen something of it. So if it did in fact exist, it's probably still on the property somewhere. And You've got yourself a treasure chest up there somewhere then, huh? Mm, yeah, that's, that's the rumor, yeah. So if you figure... 60,000 of these French coins that they estimate maybe 20 or $30 a piece, a couple million bucks probably, if it exists. Yeah, that'd be a safe assumption. <laughs> well, well, is, <laughs> is there any ghost stories that are involved with this? Now, I know there's a big history to it, but is mm-hmm. there any ghost stories involved with the house? Tell some of them, because that's what we're all oh, about yeah. here, man. Mm-hmm. So, let's see where to start. Uh, there were some letters that that I got from Dr. Quackenboss uh, stating that their oldest son, Isaac, that had been hit with a mustard gas, obviously had some issues when he came home. Uh, Excuse me. So they had to keep him in the lower part of the house, and they put extra iron bars across all the windows 
because he kept trying to to bust them, throw things to them, get out and do who knows what. So they barred him in, in the part of the house and kept him down there. And he was basically just, you know, driven crazy by the side effects of the nerve agent that he was subjected to over in the trenches. And he, uh, the doctor in the letter said that he was getting better, and he thought that they could, you know, wane off the treatments and stuff like that. And I never really uh, saw any other research that would indicated what happened to Isaac other than, you know, his death date later on in the 40s. So I'm not sure exactly what happened there. Um, they did have the family, the Post family, had a younger son that was the youngest of the three. There was Isaac, a middle brother, and... Uh, William Jr. And William Jr. died of typhoid fever when he was six months old in the front foyer in the fainting room. <clears throat> and some of the people, I guess, that had had it back in the 70s and were trying to build it up as a bed and breakfast restaurant said that they would hear uh, nannies trying to rock upstairs and in the front room. They would hear a baby crying and they didn't know whose, whose child it was or where it was coming from. And they, there was one instance, uh, one lady I'd talked to in the research for this had said that she had gone up to uh, the nursery on the second floor of the castle <clears throat> at one point during the day in broad daylight, and the rocking chair was moving by itself, and some, some lady was humming a lullaby, but there was obviously, you know, it was empty, and she was the only one in the room at the time. So there's some interesting, eerie ghost stories like that that are associated with the property that uh, definitely intrigued me as, as a horror writer. So are there a lot of investigations out there? Is this is this place still standing, or is it gone? Or mm-hmm. no, no, it's it's definitely still standing. Um, the owners at the time, this was twelve years ago, so I don't know. That's another interesting thing. Um, but the owners at the time were Chuck and Jody, and uh, Chuck was uh, in the construction, and Jody worked in the ER at the local one of the local hospitals in town. And she said, I'd ask her, uh, you know, outright, have you? you know, ever experienced anything coming off the midshifts or anything from the hospital. And she's like, no, I've never really <clears throat> noticed anything myself. And, you know, Chuck comes and goes, and I don't know if he's ever noticed anything like that of that nature. But that's not to say it hasn't existed. It doesn't exist. It's just that, you know, she never really saw it herself. Um, so they gave us a tour, which was interesting and fun. And so my friend and I went through it, and I got some pictures and stuff of the different rooms and things, and it's really elegant, you know, all the parquet floors, all the fancy stuff. It was really cool. And um, one of the guys in town, I can't remember his name, I think it was Mike, but he was saying that he grew up in the 50s with the granddaughter of William Post, who was the father of Isaac. And in the 50s, he would play hide-and-seek with this, I think it was Abigail was her name, and they would run and play hide-and-seek all through the mansion, but he refused to let them go down in the basement, and he wouldn't tell them why. But they were not allowed to play for any reason, and no circ- under no circumstances were either of the kids allowed in the basement. And he said one time they snuck down there, of course, being kids, <clears throat> and he remembered that there were three different levels to the basement, or what he assume were three different levels. You'd walk down the stairs, you'd go off onto this one floor, it would it would turn, you'd take two steps down, it would level out onto like dirt and earth, and you'd walk a few more feet, turn another right, down three huge granite steps into this room that was 
like dug down so that it was like 18 feet to the ceiling. It was humongous. And there was this little round wooden door, but it was kind of bare, bare shut or you know, barred across with uh, chains and locks and stuff. <clears throat> and then, of course, they got yelled at and told they were never allowed back down there. <clears throat> but, you know, in interviewing him uh, 12 years ago, and he was in his 50s at that point, he still recalled that. And in, a, in my uh, investigation of the place, a little tour of the place, <clears throat> it, he was spot on. I mean, there were three separate levels, not necessarily, you know, huge difference between them, but there was definitely exactly as he had described it. And they were working on one of those uh, doors down there in the basement, and it looked like it had been there for a pretty long time. And it looked like something had been covered up with earth and stone and brick behind it. So that kind of raised an eyebrow toward the uh, some of the rumors of uh, the underground catacombs and some of the things that they'd done underneath the four acres of that property on the land and the missing coins. So that kind of what came did, into play a little bit there. What did they think was behind? What did they think was behind that uh, door with all the chains and stuff? So there were suspicions that originally there was a bricklayer named, I think it was Richard Hevner, and he was a far, former colonel in the Civil War. Then he retired. He made a brick build making and brick laying business right there on his property. And the original part of the post mansion, the castle, <clears throat> was built out of that brick. And you can tell that there was that. And in the kitchen, there was the old giant, um, almost like a cave hearth made out of stone and uh, the granite and stuff and some of the brick where the original uh, fire was to cook with. And then they built around that and uh, that one of the posts bought the property in 1890, 92. They made the granite around it, and they found one of the more prominent uh, architects in the Mid-Atlantic region to come down and build this huge, what would be probably tens of millions of dollars in today's money, to build this 7,000-square-foot uh, mansion around it with three floors and the, and the castle turret that was more of like their French, Western European style that they loved and added on around what Hebner had originally built. And there was speculation that the catacombs were originally emptied out to basically not only protect some of the uh, valuables that they had or that Hebner had, but also kind of act as uh, a stop on the Underground Railroad during the Civil War, and that they hid some of the uh, escaping slaves to freedom in that in there for a few days before they made it north of the Mason-Dixon line. So that's part of that history. Wow, that's a nice house there. Anyway, we're going to go to commercial break mm -hmm. here real quick. Our guest right now is Joshua Dreyer. He's a screenwriter. We're going to get back to him a little bit and talk about some of his other books that he's published and get some feel on that. But uh, we'll be back here in about four minutes after these commercials. Can I try out a few more sound effects on you? Yes. Cool. You okay with this? Yes. And this? Yes. And what about this? Yes. Ha! Gotcha there, Thirst. That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. 
As a man, you know what it's like to break your back on a daily basis. Introducing New Bud Silver, the beer for hardworking men. It's just what you need after a day of assembling flat pack furniture. When instructions are cast aside in favor of intuition. Working with one eye on the job and another on the TV. A day when you're told it looks a bit wonky at least 40 times. Hardworking men want a fuller tasting, thirst quenching beer. New Bud Silver. One cold can of you bet I earned it. Hi, this is the Kentucky Ghost Hunter. If you've ever wanted to become a successful investor but have some issues on just where to find a good deal, well, I've got one for you. Look no further than Soarhead Station, Burgers and Lord Hartford, Kentucky. The opportunity offers low participation with a maximum revenue award potential. If you want to learn more about this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, just send me an email. Dean at KentuckyGhostHunter.com That's Dean at KentuckyGhostHunter.com I'll tell you what, I'll forward your request for information to the owners of this facility, and you'll get back to you as soon as possible. It's a great deal, folks. Remember the name, Sorehead Station Burgers and More. The food is great, the profits are going to be greater. We're here asking people from all over what they think of lifting green tea. Let's hear what people from Texas have to say. Mmm, How about China? Mmm. Germany? Mmm. How about people from the North Pole? Mmm. Or Mars? What about mimes? Oh, right. People with their jaws wired shut? Oh. Yeah, a barbershop quartet. Mm. Oh, you guys are great. How about race car drivers? Mm. What about you, high school glee club, here on a field trip? That settles it. It sounds like everyone loves the taste of Lipton Green Tea. With its protective antioxidants from real tea, it's not just good for you, it's mmm to you. Lipton Tea can do that. Air fresheners create a beautiful atmosphere in your home. But some can be overpowering. Ambipure Puress is different because it's allergen reduced. It's just as scented, but we've taken things out to make it kinder to sensitive skin. So, all you're left with is a collection of delicate air fresheners approved by Allergy UK. Ambipure Puress, a fresh take on fragrance in your home. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate. So you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's Dark Chocolate to the Rescue. My heroes! M&M's Dark Chocolate Candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. Hi, Tom Bodet. Of all the things invented in 1962, some have faded away, like cassette tapes. And others are still very much with us, like lava lamps and Motel 6. Yep, Motel 6 is celebrating 50 years of giving travelers a good night's rest and saving you more for what you travel for. But we're just getting started. In fact, the longer you watch us, the better we get. Kind of like a lava lamp. Trippy. I'm Tom Bodet for Motel 6. 50 years and the light's still on. Welcome back to the Kentucky Ghost Hunter Show. You know, one of the things that makes our show so good is the guests that we have on. 
And the next week, we've got a good uh, pair of people going to be on here, Bill and Carissa Hartley. Now, you may know them from the show Ghosts of Shepherdstown, but they'll be on next week. February 5th, that's another good show. Jane Elizabeth, author of Messages of the Stars, and she is a respected psychic medium herself. And another author, Maria Jones, will be on. She's the owner and producer of Where's Lucy's Production. And then February 12th, we have Lori Johnson, psychic from, again, Ghost of Shepherdstown. So we're going to have some good guests coming up here in the future. We've got a good guest with us right now, Joshua Dreyer. After Joshua, we're going to have Lisa Ryan. She's the author of Journey of a Dream Master, and she is the founder of the Dream Masters Companies. I was going to have... Uh, Lisa on basically to talk about because she's also associated with uh, 20th Century Fox but when I got talking to her through Messenger and everything there's a lot more to her than meets the eye especially with the uh, Journey of a Dream Master series so she's coming up next but right now like I said we're with Joshua Dreyer. Joshua um, mm-hmm. some of the places up yeah. in West Virginia that, that you visited I know you've had to do some other things besides for motivation I guess for your books what are some of the places you visited to get motivated for these the authorship of these books that you've read. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I've I've done the thing there in, in Buchanan, um, uh, the Western State Hospital, as w- as we talked a little bit about um, before it became the Trans Allegheny uh, fanfare that it is now. Uh, yep, you, you could go through there and check some of those things out. Um, just odds and ends throughout the area. Uh, there are a lot of Civil War battles fought in the hills and stuff. You could find different areas like that to go. And, uh, yeah, a lot of it, uh, as far as the horror side of things, is just uh, pure imagination on, <laughs> on for the most part. I mean, yeah, there's some places where you can draw some inspiration, like I mentioned, but um, a lot of stuff for, like, Restless and some of those other things, it's, it's uh, yeah, straight out of the, out of the nightmares. I think everybody can write good books if you, if you bring your nightmares into it, can't you? Uh, there, well, there's there's always the potential there. Yeah, it's just a matter of how you uh, craft it and put the story together. I think that's what where the difference lies. But yeah, it's all it's possible for anybody to do what, that. What do you think about the Mothman? You believe in the Mothman there in West Virginia? So yeah, yeah, I've heard of that, and I you know I've even you know seen the movie all the, all that stuff too. Um, I would assume. I mean. If, if it stands to be, you know, something real, that it may have have ties back to the, uh, I can't remember which tribe it was, of the chief of the tribe that was originally in that area before the settlers came in and built the fort there near Huntington on the river, right? And he ran them off, and they got into the fight, and he and the settlers basically told the chief that, we're, you know, come on in, we're going to have this peace meeting, and we'll work it out. And then they shot him point blank and killed him and started another bloodbath. And I don't know. I mean, if I were a betting man, I, I would say that, you know, maybe that chief had some something to do with it. Maybe there's a curse. Uh, and, you know, if I had the answers, I probably wouldn't have a day job, that's for sure. But, uh, <clears throat> yeah, but um, if, 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 I was, if I was a betting man and trying to find the root cause of something like that, that's probably where I'd start looking. So if you, yeah, let me ask you, have you any, uh, during uh, the place you've talked about before, and during the break Mm -hmm. you were saying you visited places before they actually got commercialized, Um, do you have any personal paranormal experiences that kind of made you go, you know, made you want to think, hmm? 
Oh, of course. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have gotten into uh, the horror genre. If I, I, I don't think if I had had some kind of uh, <laughs> personal uh, brush with some of these things. <clears throat> um, yeah. Let's see. Where, where's, where's a good one? Um, so there was one point, uh, we, my wife and I were still living in uh, near Nashville, Tennessee. So we were renting an apartment. It was just the two of us. <clears throat> and there was one particular evening uh, where, you know, I was sleeping out on the couch because she was almost ready to have our first child, right? So, you know, she had, I gave her the bed to herself. <clears throat> so I'd sleep out on the couch and there was, I was half asleep and then I kind of half in, half out of consciousness, which was uh, questionable. But, you know, as far as logic and trying to find sense in all of this goes, and that uh, kind of frustrates me. But anyway, so I was there sleeping and you hear these heavy boot steps coming across the carpet, like, from the front door. So there's maybe, you know, standard 15, 20 feet between the two. <clears throat> I had my back turned toward the door, so I, you know, didn't see or know if anything was really there at the time. But they kept getting closer, and I hear these deep breaths, like someone is, you know, less than a foot from me. <clears throat> and then I hear, like, some, somebody pulling, like, a blade out of, you know, uh, the pocket or something. And I thought, you know, I was probably going to get my throat cut by a robber or something like that. <clears throat> and so I finally got the nerve to turn and roll over. And, of course, there's absolutely nothing in the room but me. And I thought nothing of it at the time. I just kind of went back to sleep. And the next morning, you know, I started talking and uh, I asked my wife, hey, did you, you know, did you happen to hear any footsteps or something weird last night? And she had heard the same footsteps and thought she had seen somebody in the doorway to our bedroom that was... You know, close to six four, six five, in height. But we couldn't make sense of. You know, there's obviously no logical reason for anybody else to be in there. And a lot of the locals, of course, in this area, it was near Franklin, Tennessee, on the southern side of Nashville, a huge Civil War area. And they say, yeah, you know, that kind of thing tends to happen more often than not. You'll, if there's any kind of uh, spooks or specters or anything like that, you'll probably have some sort of old rebel or old old yank that still walking around that might uh might pay you a visit every once in a while so it's like oh well that's just uh, great <laughs> <laughs> and maybe you can ask him to pay rent for me while he, while he comes to visit or something i don't know <clears throat> but uh yeah so i had had that kind of uh brush with something i couldn't explain um anymore um go ahead well, I was just going to say, I'm just getting ready to put you on the spot here because we always ask this of our guests, especially if they're, uh, well, you're not really a skeptic, but we have a skeptics on the show. We, we're we're a multi-purpose paranormal good and bad, but uh, mm-hmm. do you, what's your philosophy on life after death? Do you believe in it? Um, yeah, I, I still wrestle with that one personally, to be honest. Um, I like to think that there's something beyond this existence um whether it's like anything that you know we read in religion or mythologies you know old dead religions or it's some consummation of all those things uh, or somewhere in the in the middle of them i don't know um but i've honestly tried to keep an objective point of view on all the things that i've researched or experienced myself and try to come up with some logical conclusion as to why it happened 
And I honestly, at this point, still can't come up with some sort of logical reason <clears throat> why these things happen. So, you know, that being said, there has to be some other explanation out there that we're just not privy to yet, that we don't understand. Uh, our technology, our five senses can only experience so much of the universe. I mean, you look at X-rays, gamma rays, all these other emissions and radiations that we are not sensitive to just because of our biological and genetic makeup as human beings. We can't sense it all. We can't see it all. So there are going to be things out there that are unknown that are <clears throat> paranormal, beyond the normal, or supernatural, you know, above and beyond what nature provides to us that we can't explain. So if you take all that into consideration, then I would say probably yes. I, I believe there's something else out there that we just don't fully understand and comprehend yet what it is or how to how to conceptualize it, you know? Have you participated in paranormal investigations at all? Nothing like that, no. Nothing official. Uh, like I said, I only did that one historical research uh, in Buchanan and just uh, research in regards to, like, the fiction side of things, but I've never really done a full-fledged official <clears throat> paranormal investigation, no. Well, we invite you to go on one with us. We'll bribe you, get us into that house you wrote that book on, and you can go with us. <laughs> you don't want to go back to that house. <laughs> yeah, during yeah, the break, one... he said, I heard him say that he didn't want to go back. But you know, you've got us. We'll keep mm. you safe, man. We'll keep you safe. <laughs> so, you, so you're into oh, the horse then. stuff. Do you, do you believe in, do you believe in uh, the devil and demons? And do you believe in God at all? Or are you kind of just kind of in the mix? You're not really sure? So, yeah, I mean, as far as that stuff... I don't know, honestly. I mean, if if you want to talk good and evil and stuff like that, I mean, and you and you look at all of what the religions each one happens to to say about the others, there's either going to be a lot of us in hell or a lot of us in heaven, right? I mean, it's it's kind of cut and dry on that in that regard, with no wiggle room. So somebody's got to be right and somebody's got to be wrong. So uh, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me personally. Um, but what what really is unusual is um, there has to be some other uh, force that started everything. I mean, even if you want to say, okay, you know, beyond this universe, there's the, you know, attached other universes and a multiverse and anti-space and the whole, you know, way, way out into a grand vision of snapshot of everything. <clears throat> Someone had to start the billiard ball rolling and start the chain reaction, right? So that's where, you know, I guess philosophically, a lot of people, including me, get stuck as, okay, who started it? And if it's, that's the case, who's, who created that person? And then you get into that whole maze of mirrors of who created that, who created that, and on and on and on. And it gets to be a fallacy and a, a kind of a circular argument. And you can drive yourself crazy trying to figure out the logic behind all that nonsense. But what if what if there um, was one creator? Like I, I, have, I know a lot of people have a hard time with what you're, you're trying to explain, but like I look mm -hmm. at things like... If there's aliens do exist, let's say UFOs exist, okay. why can't they have the same God? I mean, why God didn't just make us? Well, if he's if he's the creator, he could make all of the things. We're all basically in his likeness, technically, because he exactly. is everything. And, that, and that's right, right. And if you if you take it from that uh, philosophical standpoint, I 100% agree that whoever created, you know, the multiverse, everything that we know and beyond, <clears throat> then yeah, that makes perfect sense. They, you know, that that soup, that being created everything as we know it. Um, yeah, the reason I bring that up is I know in the paranormal field, we're 
we do a lot of paranormal with Dean and I. But, you know, a lot of people in the paranormal I talk to, they don't believe in God, but they believe in demons. And I'm like, how can you believe in demons but you don't believe in God? That's where I get confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's, that's one of the things I, I explored in one of my uh, fiction works was that, you know, uh, one of the, without giving away, I guess, too much, but one of the curiosities I had was, you know, if there was something in the beginning, <clears throat> uh, I got into talking to some of my uh, associates that I work with, and one of which, you know, he is a Satanist, and you know they're nice people and everything, but uh, it's just a religion like you know Christianity and other religion, really. And so I got got to talking to them about you know what they believe and why why it works that way, and just you know the nuts and bolts of their system. <clears throat> and and uh, they believe that there were nine uh, kings of hell. Nine separate ones, like Diablo's one, Satan's one, Lucifer's one, and so on and so on and so on. And those were all uh, at the beginning of the universe. It was just darkness, and these dark entities, all nine of them. And through their their warring and their fighting, and that mythology of you know <clears throat> them battling each other, trying to gain higher power over the other eight other eight siblings, created the universe and everything we know. So I kind of explored that idea in one of the stories to say, okay, well, if that's the case, maybe if these nine entities did exist at some point, they aren't the kings of hell or anything. Maybe just these dark entities that maybe supersede all religions as we know it. You know, that their explanation goes beyond what we can put into words or put into put into philosophy and logic. <clears throat> and so that's that's one thing I explored. Well, has has the people that read your book? How do they react to them? I mean, is it just because I guess we have some authors that have been on here before that that the uh, the readers kind of uh, how do you say this? They 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 get consumed by the writings and kind of believe even in the fiction part of it. They kind of bring that reality into their lives. Now, as a horror writer and fictional and non-fictional both, have you had any instances with that where it's been a little overboard with your readers? Um, not, not necessarily yet. No. Um, yeah, there have been people that have read certain, uh, works and said, you know, that's definitely, it's got a kind of a lingering dread that refuses to go away. (laughs) So I took that as a compliment, of course. Um, but you know, nothing where, uh, I've heard of someone that basically said, you know, that this is, you know, reality, or this is going to be something that I want to follow and try and pursue and see if it's real or anything like that. Um, I guess that would be interesting to see if something like that were the case. I mean, I'm sure you guys have probably run into some instances where you run into shadow people and in, in certain uh, cases where people have claimed to have seen shadow people. And that's one of the things I'm wondering is if those shadow people and those sightings of, of those entities maybe coincide with these nine beings and maybe that's it's always them manifesting themselves in different places when they're able to uh i guess manifest themselves on our plane of existence at different points in time and space something to ponder i guess yeah now do you because i'm I guess i'm going to backtrack here a little bit because what you've just said about the nine people and all that again we brought it up again so you do, do you believe in interdimensional um you know, people living in different dimensions and all that, is that part of the philosophy at all when you write, or do you believe in that? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I like to explore that part of it in horror and science fiction because I guess um, if you look at it from one perspective, you know you've got <clears throat> uh, the four the four dimensions, like you know you've got length, width, height, and time, or what are the ones that we're most familiar with. But then at any one point in time, you have certain you make certain choices. Like right now, we're making a choice to have this show and this conversation. And you could have asked any one of a series of a dozen different questions other than the one you just asked, and it would have gone off on a completely different timeline tangent. So that's more or less the fifth dimension to me, as I understand it, is you know all those alternate possibilities, those alternate realities from that one instance, a decision point in time and space branched off. And if you could man- maneuver through those on a uh, on a spectrum, you might see slightly different versions of reality based on an alternate decision. That, does that make sense? No, it makes total sense. Now, and okay, I've got to okay, backtrack cool. again. We've only got we've only got a couple minutes left here in your segment here, so I got to kind of backtrack here again. And I apologize for this. No, 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 some no people worries. are yeah they're they're asking. So I need to ask you uh, as an author. Uh, You've wrote several books. We've got a lot of people out here that have written books and they can't get anywhere. They're trying the self-publishing route through Amazon or something like that. And, of course, mm-hmm. you know, you can be a self-publisher, but that doesn't mean you're going to sell more than one book. So they want to sell more than one book. So how do you present your books to actual major publishing companies where they will actually look at you and uh, take a look at what you're writing without just rejecting it and sending it back? All right. If you want to go more of the traditional publishing route, I would my, my my advice would be first make sure your stuff is the best that it can be. If you can't edit it, of course, find someone that is a professional editor, even if it's a minimal investment, to go through it for you and with you, and get it brushed up to the, uh, the optimal level, the best that it can be, and then follow all the specific guidelines. Uh, each publisher is going to have different guidelines for you know spacing and setup and margins and the whole nine yards. So follow all those and then push it out there and you know learn how to write a query letter, learn how to write a decent synopsis. And you know it, uh, books are a business, just like you know reality TV is a business. They're going to look for something that they can have almost a guaranteed sell on. I mean, they may not make all their money back because you're a new author, but it's still a business and it's a business decision. So even if they say no, not right now, or you know this is not for us, it's not. A judgment on you as a writer. It's just a business decision that they see they can't, you know, make a decent profit off that particular idea. So, yeah, don't take it personally, but definitely uh, learn the craft, follow the guidelines, and rewrite, rewrite, rewrite. So I got a question for you then, because you're talking about Mm -hmm. you brought up reality TV a little bit. Do you feel that like? these networks are looking more for younger people because they feel like the younger generation watches more TV? Because I'm kind of finding there's a lot of elderly people in their 70s, 80s, 60s, 50s, 40s, like myself, 40s, that watch, you know, a lot of TV. And, you know, mm-hmm. everybody you see on TV is all 20s, 30s, they're all young, you know, people out there. But, we, you know, we would kind of like to see sometimes the older crowd out there doing it. You know, see somebody yeah, more that, think that we can relate to more. And I think these networks forget that. And they're all just too focused on this young and beautiful instead of looking at the, you know, let's look at real people that can relate I to agree. people that are their age. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I, I think a lot of that comes from the competition with, like, you know, you look at the MTV and even The Bachelor and stuff, like you're saying, the young, the beautiful, and they're all out getting crazy and drunk and hooking up and this, that, and the other, and they're trying to compete with that crowd for their attention and their money. And they forget that there's an older, you know, the Gen Xers, the baby boomers, and even, you know, uh, millennials and so on and so forth that want something else, something even if it's, you know, more sophisticated or different or, you know, like you're saying, just more real yeah. that has a deeper emotional well, and intellectual well, connection, connection to them. Well, I've thought about, like, how come it's always these paranormal shows are always on Travel Channel or they're on Sci-Fi destination mm-hmm. america how come the big networks don't want something like this for an hour find a good group that's actually legit and actually they might draw a lot of people in because i turn on tv sometimes on weeknight and there's nothing on tv to watch you know yeah, they, you would, you would they don't so. they don't venture into that i don't know if it's because they don't want to cross that line think, they're afraid yeah i think yeah i think you're getting getting to the heart of it a little bit i don't know for sure but my speculation is similar that you know they don't want to cross into you don't want to fight fight on shows, especially something like that in reality shows that deal with religion or politics or something like that that is highly charged and highly controversial because you could definitely polarize your your market in a major way if you do something like that. And people are either going to love it or hate it, and you're going to lose viewership left and right one way or the other. And I think that's a part of their fear is that polarization. So, Kevin, i got to ask you a question are you because we we got interviewed you and they're going for the young and beautiful instead of the old and ugly do what <laughs> i said i said you know we got we got interviewed to do a show and i'm just yeah. saying i said you're, you're I saying say that the networks we're, I are going for old and ugly we're just old. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but i look at the networks yeah. like i think like these abc cbs fox you know i would think that even fox even more I mean, they put these shows, like you said, The Bachelor and stuff on, and all it is is scanning clad people, and they're hooking up, and I think that's mm-hmm. just as bad anyway. I mean, I think the older crowd looks at that and goes, I don't want to watch that. <laughs> you know, but I mean, I think the, they already kind of crossed the lines on some shows. I mean, Criminal oh, yeah. Minds, is, they show a lot of crazy stuff. I love Criminal Minds, but they show a lot of crazy stuff on there. I mean, I don't know. I think, I think it would mix it up a little bit. It would give them maybe an advantage over some of these, you know, sci-fi or something, since they are the big network. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. I agree. I agree. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah, I, I agree that the the change would be good, but I think again, there's there are certain lines in in politics and religion and stuff like that that are maybe too sensitive for them. And you know, when you're talking hundreds or up millions or even tens of billions of dollars that are in, coming from investors and yeah. advertisers and stuff, that that might see that as a little too. Uh, risque and polar advertising and stuff, and suddenly you're losing, you know, viewership and money. Right. Money, <clears throat> and it's it's a huge business decision. I think is what it boils down to. It's it's about the I, money and and the advertising. I don't know if you've seen the show um, God Friended Me before. It started last mm. year, and the second season just started. We love the show here, and oh, that's that's I, a I show there that kind of crosses the line a little bit. I mean, if if people with the way the country is, with you know, some people aren't believing God, and some do. The show seems to be successful on the on the on the air. They say it's renewed it for another season. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah, and maybe they're changing changing their view viewpoints on some of these uh, topics and and stuff. And maybe 
this genre genre of reality TV uh, will have its day on primetime one of these days soon. Yeah, maybe it'll be us. <laughs> Could be. Yeah, that's the old and ugly. It'll be us. <laughs> hey, the Golden Girls were successful, right? <laughs> I don't think they were ugly, though. Were they? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, they were definitely ugly, yeah. <laughs> well, so much for our career on TV. Thanks, Gavin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Do us a favor. Tell, tell us how to get a hold of you if somebody wants to or, or purchase one of your books or something like that because you've got some good books out there, and I want everybody to know how to get a hold of them. Well, thank you. Thank you. Sure. Um, you can find me at uh, Joshua Dyer, D-Y-E-R, uh, author on Facebook. And you can uh, message me there or find a lot of my works and links. I'm on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Kobo, Hulu. Well, not Hulu. It's that other H one. Uh, I can't remember offhand, but there's another book one out there, Overdrive. You know, you can find me in a whole bunch of places. There's uh, audiobook versions, ebooks, paperbacks. So... Yeah, you can definitely uh, start the search there and have at it and go for your favorite format and whatever you enjoy and have some fun. Yeah, hey, I appreciate you being on tonight, Joshua. It was great having you, yeah, buddy. Yeah, yeah thanks, yeah, thanks, thanks so for having much. me on. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much. I wish, was, I wish we had a little more time, but uh, we got Lisa Ryan coming up next. we got to go to a commercial break here real quick. But, folks, thanks to Joshua for being on, and we will be right back with Lisa Ryan. sound effects on you yes cool you okay with this yes and this yes and what about this yes ha gotcha there thirst that wasn't sound effects that was a coke i'm no longer thirsty you're so out of here coca-cola open happiness as a man, you know what it's like to break your back on a daily basis. Introducing New Bud Silver, the beer for hardworking men. It's just what you need after a day of assembling flat pack furniture, when instructions are cast aside in favor of intuition. Working with one eye on the job and another on the TV. A day when you're told it looks a bit wonky at least 40 times. Hardworking men want a fuller tasting, thirst quenching beer. New Bud Silver, one cold can of you bet I earned it. Hi, this is the Kentucky Ghost Hunter. If you've ever wanted to become a successful investor but have some issues on just where to find a good deal, well, I've got one for you. Look no further than Soarhead Station, Burgers and Lord Hartford, Kentucky. The opportunity offers low participation with a maximum revenue award potential. If you want to learn more about this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, just send me an email. Dean at KentuckyGhostHunter.com That's Dean at KentuckyGhostHunter.com I'll tell you what, I'll forward your request for information to the owners of this facility, and you'll get back to you as soon as possible. It's a great deal, folks. Remember the name, Sorehead Station Burgers and More. When the food is great, the profits are going to be greater. We're here asking people from all over what they think of lifting green tea. Let's hear what people from Texas have to say. Mmm! How about China? Mmm! Germany? Mmm! 
How about people from the North Pole? <laughs> or Mars? It, what about mimes? Oh, right. People with their jaws wired shut? Oh. Yeah, a barbershop quartet. Mm. Oh, you guys are great. How about race car drivers? Mm. Yeah, what about you, high school glee club, here on a field trip? settles it. It sounds like everyone loves the taste of Lipton Green Tea. With its protective antioxidants from real tea, it's not just good for you, it's mmm to you. Lipton Tea can do that. Air fresheners create a beautiful atmosphere in your home. But some can be overpowering. Ambipure Puress is different because it's allergen reduced. It's just as scented, but we've taken things out to make it kinder to sensitive skin. So, all you're left with is a collection of delicate air fresheners approved by Allergy UK. Ambipure Puress, a fresh take on fragrance in your home. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&Ms. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate. So you've been avoiding M&Ms. <laughs> yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's Dark Chocolate to the Rescue. My heroes! M&M's Dark Chocolate Candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. Hi, Tom Bodette. Of all the things invented in 1962, some have faded away, like cassette tapes. And others are still very much with us, like lava lamps and Motel 6. Yep, Motel 6 is celebrating 50 years of giving travelers a good night's rest and saving you more for what you travel for. But we're just getting started. In fact, the longer you watch us, the better we get. Kind of like a lava lamp. Trippy. I'm Tom Bodet for Motel 6. 50 years and the light's still on. Welcome back to the Kentucky Ghost Hunter Show. Our guest on the second segment is Lisa Ryan, and I was telling Lisa on break that uh, she has a book out, and she's got an organization that she's part of that I really didn't understand how much of it was involved in it until we started texting back and forth. I could probably have a two-hour show just on that, but uh, we're going to do a little bit of talking real quick on our subject tonight, which is people that are trying to get into maybe reality TV or something like that. They've got questions in the paranormal world. Lisa's the person to ask about that. But first of all, Lisa, welcome to the show, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, well, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm glad you asked me. Um, a little bit about myself. Oh, my gosh. Um, actually, my mother and all her family were from Huff, Kentucky. So when I got an email from the Kentucky Ghost Hunters, I went, well, i got to talk to these guys. Come on. They're my people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, I grew up in Indiana, and then just you know after that went to college and then took off and i've been all over the place i've lived from coast to coast from new york city to now i'm in los angeles california and um i've always had a uh, a gift i've always dealt with you know whether it be uh what people call energy healing you know shamanic practitioner whatever i i, I remembered past lives you know as, as a kid as a baby even and um and then the older i got the more i studied, you know, whether it was reading books, whether it was seeking out teachers, and um, I've lived about 10 lifetimes so far. 
<laughs> so, and then, but like I said, I, with all my clients, I would tell these stories, you know, especially if it, it kind of had to do with something they were going through and more and more people kept saying, Oh my God, you ought to write a book. Oh my God, that's like a movie or that's like something out of a TV show. And so I finally said, you know what, if I write a book, I can stop repeating myself and I could just have them read the book and <laughs> I could tell some new stories. So that's what I did. And I released it on my birthday and, uh, I actually, I actually self-published it because there were editors and a couple of publishers that I talked to, and the stories were so beyond what they could even comprehend that they wanted me to take them out. They wanted me to edit them, and I said, you know what? No, this is the truth. This is what's going on. This is what's happening, and I'm going to write it this way, and even if I have to write it myself and publish it, and if nobody even reads it, at least I'm going to tell the story the way it happened. So that's how we got here, and, um, and I've always been in the entertainment industry, you know, I started out as an actor, and then I kind of transitioned more into behind-the-camera stuff, writing and producing. And, um, you know, so like I said, it's just been an interesting journey. And now I work at 20th Century Fox in the feature film division, making the big movies. We're all excited because three of the movies that I worked on this over the last couple of years are now Oscar-nominated. So The Favorite and Can You Ever Forgive Me and Bohemian Rhapsody. So we're having a big week here in Los Angeles. Yeah, <laughs> very cool. Now let me ask. You, this is totally off the subject. Did you hear about the uh, that Marvel movie that became its Academy Award uh, nominated this year for? Is it Best Picture? I think it was Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of freaky, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's one of the I mean, who, Marvel ones. I mean, they've had really huge movies that made a lot of money, but they they they're not getting you know nominations, and now you know they are. So it's it's it, you know the industry has changed so much from when I started. And like now the demand for content, it, it has never been like this in the history of entertainment. And I know a lot of people think, well, you know, I've got an idea for a reality show. They want to be, you know, because of so many options. I mean, even, you know, people who are doing their own stuff and just putting it on YouTube or the internet or whatever. Um, and the, the landscape has really changed because before, unless, it was some really big, solid project like, you know, a, a, a best-selling novel that then you make into a movie. Well, now, you know, the, the sky's the limit. I mean, there's no limit to the imagination, and people are buying up content, whether it's the big studios, whether it's Netflix, you know, the big player in town, Amazon. You know, it's just, it's, it's exciting because now, you know, there's more opportunity for more stories to be told that may not have been told on strictly network television or at a big studio. Um, and two, you know, in the old days, you only had, you know, your agent, your manager and your, your publicist, you know, and your, and your entertainment lawyer. And that's the only way you could get a deal is having these big wigs negotiate for you, which they are still necessary. If nothing else, <clears throat> excuse me, you need an entertainment lawyer, if not an agent. You know, some people get confused. They say they need a lawyer, and you know, your your uh, your real estate attorney, your insurance, <laughs> you know, lawyers are not going to be able to help you. You really need an entertainment specialist. So, what what do you give advice? We'll do this real quick because I want to get into your book a little bit too. But what do you give as advice to people that say that? Because there's a lot of new paranormal uh, show reality shows coming on TV. I know those aren't movies, but they are TV, and there's some documentaries that. People have moved or tried to move into the movie stage of it. What do you su yeah. suggest to people? Or what is your advice, really quick, about uh, how to break into that industry? If you're if you're just like 
somebody like us that's just got a little production company and, and does their thing, and where do we go from here? You know what? You move forward and you create content. You know, you create stuff. You go ahead and show them because, you know, unbelievably, you know, in the entertainment industry, so many people who are making decisions, they have no imagination. So unless they can already see a finished project, you know, you're out of luck. So if you're creating content and you have followers, this is what they're going to track. They're going to say, how many followers do you have on Twitter, on, you know, on LinkedIn, on, on all social media? They want to know numbers. So unless you're pulling tens to hundreds of thousands of, you know, fans and followers, you know, your content is going to have to have something that nobody else has. And I love the fact that there is so much supernatural content, whether it's scripted or reality stuff. You know, the CW is full of all the supernatural stuff, and it's all over the place. So people people want this. They want the stories that we're telling, and they want to to experience this. But, you know, if, if you're doing something similar, like, like ghost hunting shows, well, you know, what's your different angle? What's the one thing that's going to make you so unique that nobody else is doing it? That's going to be the catch. And then they're also going to be looking for, you know, have you already been creating content? And then you know, what's it like or, and also too, um, when a studio is going to acquire something or get the rights to, if, whether it's your life story, your book or your show that, you know, content you've already created, they want to have a clear chain of title. So like on a movie, like I say, uh, you know, Fox goes to uh, Sundance Film Festival and these movies are already made. These, these people went ahead and made their content and then they're, now they're shopping it which is what you're, you're trying to do, right? So, you know, when, when you have this content, well, we're looking at it, it's like, okay, yeah, we love the movie, but, Joe Filmmaker, you know, is this, you know, are the rights to this movie clear, whether it's a life story or a book or whatever? And if, if someone has, like, you know, 13 investors and you've promised them all, um, you know, they can be a producer on it. The studio doesn't like that. They want a clean, you know, chain of title. So that's one thing. And ideas are not protected and you don't want to go into pitch meetings. You know, if you're talking to your lawyer and that's in, you know, client attorney privilege, you know, your attorney is going to protect your intellectual property, especially if you don't have a copyright or trademark on it um, yet. But when you're just going into random meetings, I would say never pitch just an idea without some paper trail to show how long you've been working with this particular project because they can just run with it and do their own version of it and you're left out in the dust and you don't have a leg to stand on because ideas are not protected. So most people don't understand the business of it, of you need a, an entertainment attorney you know, and possibly an agent to, to help sell it, but you need to create content, something that's going to be original that something nobody else is doing, so, yeah, even though you're, you're a ghost hunting show, you know, there's one caveat that, oh, nobody else is doing yet, you know, and it's it's protecting your intellectual property and, and gaining followers, just getting it out there, promoting it. And just like actors, actors have to promote. There are several, there are a lot of actors now who are getting parts who normally may not have been considered because they're social media stars, you know, whether they've had a YouTube or whatever. So they are looking for the numbers. Because if you've already got a built-in audience and you're already promoting it, they like that, you know. So it's not impossible, but, I mean, it really, and especially, 
you know, with the demand that's out there, but you've got to have, you know, your base is covered. You got to protect yourself, especially when you well, know I, it's, it's your intellectual property. It's your idea, you know. Yeah, let me ask you a quick question. We'll go into your book here, Lisa, because this happened to us. We had a production company that came to us and and wanted us to. Uh, I guess we did screen tests and all other stuff, but in the end, it came down to. Uh, I think they were more after the name, the Kentucky Ghost Hunter, than they were of anything else. Because, make a long story short, they were going to produce a reality show in Kentucky based mm-hmm. on some stuff that I didn't agree with. But we fought forever until the point they just told me and Kevin, "Well, you're not hip enough," as an excuse because I I had a paper trail for since 1999, basically showing that I own and it's trademarked the name, the Kentucky Ghost Hunter. Mm-hmm. Well, I was be... against that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you you got to have people on your team, whether they're your agents and your lawyers and managers and publicists or whatever, or a production company that you're going to partner with. They have to get your vision, and and you know there needs to be you know some flexibility. But if it's completely against your vision, then you you have to remain true to the content. Otherwise, you're going to be tossed every which way the wind blows because every person you talk to, they're going to have an opinion on what you should be doing and how they think it could be done better. So, you know, and sometimes if they know what they're talking about, it might be a good consideration and it might not be, you know, and there are millions of people out there producing things. So, you know, just because one production company came at you, that's not the end all be all. I mean, I think if you, if you remain true to yourself and to your show, eventually you're going to find your right team and you're going to find your audience. But if you're yeah, inconsistent and you're all over the place, then you're, you're not going to, yeah, you're going to be scared. Yeah, the, the thing was, though, I think they were trying to get him to sign paperwork saying that they would have the rights to the Kentucky Ghost Hunter. And they told Dean, we'll, we'll do a pilot episode, but we can't guarantee anything after that. Basically, a BS thing to buy the name, basically. And right. Basically, They're trying to get your out. rights. And that's why you yeah, need a lawyer out. to protect your intellectual <laughs> property and your rights. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's all they were trying to do. Yeah. Well, it, it made me feel good, though, you know. It made me feel good. <laughs> well, sure, you get a little of attention. Yeah, that's great. And luckily, you didn't lose your mind and go ahead and, and do the deal because it wasn't no. a good deal. No, we were, we were, that's the first thing we talked about when they approached us because all they kept saying was the Kentucky Ghost Hunter, the Kentucky Ghost Hunter. I was like, you know, I think they're after my name more than us. But sure. guess what? They didn't get it, so that's the way it goes. Right, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, if they're really gung ho about doing a show about Kentucky and ghost hunting or whatever, they'll come up with something else. So yeah, yeah, it's good to keep, it's good to keep your eyes and ears open, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so let me let me ask you a question. Getting off the well, not really getting off the subject totally because this is part of you, but getting off the subject of of reality TV and all that. The Dream Masters mm-hmm. companies. What what is that? You know, I I decided I wanted to, to do some work on my own and create my own production label. And I thought and I thought prayed and meditated about it, like, well, what would be a good name? And actually, the guides that I work with that have been with me all my life, I was playing with names, and and I like, you know, the thought of, you know, many, there's many schools of thought of this reality is a dream level. And so it's like, well, if we're in the dream time, you know, okay, dream, dream masters. Well, these are people who are mastering the dream, you know, and I didn't call it I'm not the dream master, like I'm the only one, because people who are out here doing this work, whether they're, you know, indigenous, aboriginal, you know, North, Central, South American, you know, indigenous people or whatever, they are working in the dream time. They're working in other realms. So the dream masters 
it just kind of, it came to me and it really stuck and resonated. And, and I have friends who are numerologists who they really liked the, the way everything was working out. So, you know, it felt right. So I went with that and I started out, like it was just going to be my kind of production umbrella. And then I had different artists come to me who are visionary artists who do a lot of sacred geometry and a lot of amazing work. And I started working with them and just, it's just evolved over the years to different things. I mean, I, at one time I represented 13 fine artists and now I only work with one. I work with Elantu still as, as a manager, but, uh, now it's just focused on my own projects. Yeah. Well, now I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about, cause you, we were texting back and forth and you wrote a, you know, like you said it before we came on, I wrote a whole bunch of stuff to me on here just to kind of look over uh, before we got together. But well, one I, knew you discussed... I knew you wouldn't have time to write the book. I mean, you read the book because <laughs> you only contacted me like a day or two ago. So, yeah, and know, I, I read very slow. Out... Kevin will tell you, I'm a slow reader, so it's probably best you did it <laughs> well, like this. Well, but it's this. an easy read. It's, it's, it's an easy and quick read. I had one person that they took it with them to the airport on a flight, and they read it in the airport between waiting for the flights, and by the time they got to where they were going, they were already done with it. So, you know. Well, in the book, you talk about demons, and the reason I'm going to ask you about that right off the bat is because we've had a lot of we've had people that claim to be demonologists and so forth and so forth on the show here mm-hmm. in the past. Been doing this for a couple of years now, but uh, you had a few run-ins with them, and I kind of wanted to get your opinion on them and what you think they are and what happened during those run-ins to kind of correlate with the other people that have been on our show. Well, you know. I always love it when people say, oh, I'm spiritual, and I kind of point out and say, well, demons are spirits, too. Can you be a little more specific? Um, you, you know, there are malevolent forces. There are, there's every every color in the rainbow, every kind of variation, just like there are humans, there are spirits. So you have, some are nicer than others, some are jerks, some are evil, some are good, some are whatever. And, um, and I think people who do this kind of work, you know, it, it's all about frequency and vibration. And the higher you vibrate and the lighter you become on not only on, on a musical scale and frequency and tonality, but also in light, you're going to attract, you know, the dark, just like a moth to the flame. And so when you do this work, it's so key to protect yourself because, it, you know, I wasn't out looking. I wasn't a demon hunter. I wasn't out looking for him. I One day I was at the gym here in Los Angeles, just pedaling on a stationary bike. And I was reading a book and just kind of zoning out. And all of a sudden the temperature dropped and I just got the worst feeling. It was like, Whoa, what is that? And I stopped reading. I looked up and right as I did, this guy walks by me and he's not even in gym clothes. He's got this leather jacket on. And, and I just kind of went, Ooh, what is that? So I paid attention. I watched. He went up to this girl who was all alone, and I'd seen her there before, never really talked to anybody, very shy girl. And he started chatting her up, and I just, when I scanned him, when I look at someone, I mean, I, I can see auras, and I can see, and he was his aura, the whole area around him was just black, and it was freezing. And I'm like, what is going on? And I just got the worst feeling about this guy. And my guide started shepherding, and it's like, this is a bad situation. And so... You know, I kind of scan forward on a timeline. I have a process for doing this. And I saw where this guy had targeted her. He'd been watching her, and he was going to follow her home and rape and kill her. And I'm like, well, you know, sometimes when I witness things, like the last time I saw one of my uncles, I knew it was the last time I would ever see him alive, but my guys told him I would, and, and his oversoul told me not to say anything. 
So I just enjoyed the day. But this is like, I'm seeing this for a reason, this gym demon, whatever this guy is. So in my mind, I kind of telepathically, I called out to him, I went, hey. And as soon as I did, he turned around and looked at me, and I kind of went, oh, crap. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is a problem. <laughs> because when I looked into that guy's eyes, there was nobody home. That was pure evil. And I'm like, what's going on? And he just looked at me and like, Pfft. So the, the first thing that popped into my mind, which a lot of healers will tell you, sometimes, you know, you'll think you're going to do one thing, but all of a sudden something else pops into your mind. That comes from somewhere and pay attention to it. So I got to call in Michael and Gabriel to help fight. I'm like, okay. So I kind of asked, I said, you know, I asked them to please come and help me. And I felt their presence. And as soon as I did, I kind of called out to this guy again because he turned back to the girl and I went, hey. And when he turned around and looked, the guy looked me in the eye and then he looked about three feet above my head. He was looking up to my right. He So whatever it was saw them. And I'm like, you know, we see you. You need to get out of here. Leave the girl alone. And he's kind of snarling and looking at me. And I went, you know what? You pick on somebody your own size. Why don't you come over here and talk to me? <laughs> he didn't want any part of that. And so he immediately just kind of like broke it off, like mid-sentence. He completely ignored the girl, turned around and left the gym. And he walked all the way around the bank of bikes. That he didn't walk past me either. He avoided me. So I hopped off and I went to the window and I watched him walk down the street because I wanted to make sure he wasn't going to the parking garage to wait for me. So right. um, that was so extreme. It's so random in the middle of the gym. But it happens, you know. And um, I had a soldier who uh, who had been in the Middle East and we were taking this workshop together. And he caught my eye as soon as I walked in because there was a black, like, shadow person. There was an entity. There was something attached to him. It was like right on his back like a backpack. But again, I didn't say anything. I didn't know the guy. And after the second day of the workshop, we paired up. And I said, can I just ask you something? And I said, do you play with Ouija boards? And he looked at me like, oh. he goes, why would you ask me that? I go, you got somebody behind you, and it's it's a bad, I don't know what it is, but it ain't good. And he, goes, and he told me the story because ever since then that they had done that Ouija board while they were just killing time, he said, I have felt wrong. And he said, I feel like the energy's leaving my body. And, you know, he described a perfect, you know, spirit attachment. And I said, well, I can help you get rid of that if you want. And so I did. But it's something that he didn't intentionally seek out. But again, he was playing with things he didn't understand, had a spirit attachment to him. And, you know, luckily we crossed paths and I helped him out with it. So. I'm going to have to ask you this. I already know the answer to this, but I'm going to. We, we've also had these subjects come up in other episodes. Ouija boards, yes or no to you? No. No, no, no. It's a tool. I mean, it's it's just a tool. It's it's a very low vibration tool, and it attracts. It's a it's a it's a plaything for lower vibration vibrational beings. There are other talking boards that are great. And I also do scrying with pendulums, and I do a lot of things, but absolutely not. I have gone into, I've gone into people's places where they had a Ouija board. I said, you can either remove it or I'm leaving. I'm not even going to be in the same room with it. Well, do me a favor, elaborate on that, because you're saying no, and you're saying lower energy beings, but kind of elaborate on that for people like me that don't quite get what you're saying. 
Well, you know, like attracts like, you know, well, it's, it's kind of weird because like attracts like and opposite attracts each other. So, <laughs> um, but that particular tool was made to attract a certain level of being. And, uh, you know, and I, and like I said, this is my, this is my two cents for the penny it's worth. It's just my opinion. But it's also an opinion that's held by a lot of people who've been doing this a lot longer than me, where if you want to communicate with the other side, there are far better tools to use than that, because when you use that, it, it's, it's kind of like it's already preconditioned to be tuning in to the lower realms, to, the, to, to demons, to just malevolent beings, to bored spirits who are there, and they're mischievous um, so you may get an answer, and it may tell you what your grandma, but it, it's not. And uh, you know, like I said, I just I really can't strongly enough <laughs> express how gotta, against Ouija boards I am. <laughs> I, I have a theory on Ouija boards, and my theory is the reason they're so bad is because you're asking the spirit or whatever it is, you know, to come through you and use your energy to move the planchet. And mm-hmm. I will not touch a Ouija board. I don't. I won't be a, like you. I will walk out of the room. I will not participate in anything with a Ouija board. Yeah. But I believe that you should never give another spirit, shadow, whatever, whatever the entity is. You should never allow anybody else, even another human being, to have your energy. Your energy well, no. is very valuable. And you're well, you're saying these... come through me to move this planchet, and you want that to happen. That's just a that's bad from from day one. You just gave them permission. Because see, exactly. permission is a very key thing, and whenever I'm encountering anything, you know, I will say, "Who are you? Tell me your name, or show yourself, or make you, you know, tell me who you are, or get lost." And I mean it. And you have to be congruent with it. I mean, when you say something and you really mean it, they'll get it, and they, you know, they won't mess with you. But when Let's... you are doing these Ouija boards, like I said, you are giving this spirit to per- permission to come in. And just because you, you put the board away and you stop playing, it doesn't mean they've left because now you've opened up a portal. You've opened up a door and yeah, you can walk through it, but so can they. And you don't know what's coming through that doorway, regardless of, of what, of what's being spelled out on that board, because they're liars, they're deceivers. And you know, like I said, just no good can come of it. And when you are, even if you've set up a, a circle of protection or a boundary for yourself, I always find it helpful to say, you know, to, to just proclaim out loud, who are you? Identify yourself or be gone. And I had an experience. I was sitting on my couch in Nashville, and, I'm, and I'd been very ill. I'd been in an accident. And all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, I hear this, go to Cahokia. You know, the next, the following coming up, the upcoming weekend was Labor Day weekend. And they said, you need to go to Cahokia. We are going to reboot you. Go to the place, you know, go to the place where you entered this world. Well, now I don't know this group because my group of guides has a very specific, you know, dialect. I mean, it's like, I, it's just familiar. Just like, you know, you know, your mom's voice or your partner's voice. My group, my guides, I know who they are. And this wasn't them. So I said, you know, I beg your pardon. <laughs> and the message repeated. And I said, who are you? And I didn't get an answer. I'm like, you know what? You can either identify yourself or get lost. I'm not going anywhere until you identify yourself. Well, in my mind, what popped up was an image of like a, uh, a classic like flowchart. 
and it's like me obviously on the bottom <laughs> and then my group of guides above me and then this group highlighted like they were above my group so some people talk about soul groups you know on the other side and like like this this big committee whoever they were i i just got the hierarchy of these guys are the big shots so okay but until they gave me that information and and i checked in with my guides and and got a validation of like you know yes this is good then i started listening and then engaging and then i ended up going to cahokia and it was life-changing, the event that happened there. Um, but like I said, just because, like I said, you're getting messages, it doesn't mean it's necessarily, you know, somebody you know or somebody asks. So just, you know, be brave enough to ask. Who are you? Name yourself. Well, you know, let me ask you a question you, about yeah, that. Name questions. yourself. Why are you thing? talking to me? Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I, that's what I want to ask you is because we've got a lot of – how important is the name, though? Because you're, you're saying, you know, Tell me your name. Tell me your name. Is there? Is it just to so you recognize you're talking to somebody that you know? Is there more of an importance to knowing the entity's name for protection, or kind of elaborate on the name thing? Well, it, it, it's a few care. reasons, but it's a few reasons. But like with anything, um, when you know someone or something's true name, you can command it. And yeah, a rosebud near the name. I mean, there there are you know, beings who, you know, there's a belief that the, uh, the entity that we've known that manifested as, you know, Yeshua ben David or Jesus of Nazareth, you know, there are metaphysical schools of thought where this being has incarnated, this ascended master has come down several times. He's been known by many names as Pescator, you know, so, so some, some entity could have different names, just like if you've had past lives, you've had different names. But, you know, to get to get something to name itself will give you a great advantage to not only help communicate. Just like if you're meeting a new person, would you sit there and have a conversation and never ask somebody's name? You don't know who you're talking to. It's like, oh, you know, you introduce yourself. Oh, hi. You know, I'm Lisa. Okay, you're Joe Sixpack. Okay, groovy. And then you know, you have a conversation. So, and and two, if you get resistance, that is a clue that they may not be who or what they're presenting to you whether you're spelling it out on a ouija board or whatever it's like if you're getting resistance then they're lying or they're hiding something well then that's that's a red flag you need to pay attention to that so tell me about guardians a little bit because uh you you've said that subject a couple times now and some people you know, when, when people speak guardians, they're thinking like guardian angel or something like that. And in, in, in retrospect, I guess that you were talking about guardian angels at one point. But how important are guardians? What are they? And how do they interact with you? I think guardians are vital because, you know, in these in this body, I mean, we're just human. So if like a shaman is going to go into the either the upper, middle or lower worlds, you know, that's not my home turf, you know. Right now, this earth, this, this is my home turf, but when you're getting into the other realms, you know, it, it's kind of like you wouldn't go on a vacation or try to navigate the, the, wild, the wild, untamed Amazon. You wouldn't just pack a bag and, like, just trot off into the middle of the Amazon, or at least I hope you wouldn't. So, you know, when you have, like, different people, you know, there are spirit animals, um, the essence of what these archetype types hold whether it's strength, power, perseverance, you know, patience, whatever, you know, they represent different things. And, you know, you have, of course, 
you know, people think of guardian angels, or they think of ascended masters, like all the you know, the big names, you know, of ascended masters of religious teachers that they've that have lived. Some have incarnated, maybe some have not. Um, and all these beings on the other side, they are willing to get into a relationship with you, but just like a relationship with a person, you need to foster that. So you need to be in communication. It's like okay. You know, from, from my spirit guides, it's like, well, you know, I'm asking for your power, protection, and support. I'm getting ready to go, like, say, to do a soul retrieval for someone, and I will ask, you know, all these beings and whoever else may show up, maybe not just my usual group, my usual group of guides, and there's a reason why something shows up. Maybe it's my client's spirit guide or spirit animal or, you know, so there's so many archetypes, and... You know, these beings, like, so when you raise your vibration, when you say, you know what, I want to be, like, when you're in a good mood, when you're in great, you're blissed out, you're listening to fabulous music, music that just, oh, you know, you're dancing, you're singing in the shower, you know, whatever. Um, that raises your vibe. And there's a lot on that with, with how music does that. So essentially, you're trying to get as high and light and happy as you can get. Because that is too different from the lower vibration, the evil, nasty, gnarly stuff. So they won't even be attracted to you because it, it's almost like they're trudging around in the mud and you're flying up in the clouds and they don't even look up to notice you. So you want to you know, have that set and that intention of where you're going, who you're working with, and you don't want to do this willy-nilly. And especially people who deal with Ouija boards, they're not educated to all of this stuff and you know they can get in they can get themselves into a lot of trouble on people who try to you know take a weekend workshop and then all of a sudden now they're they think they're qualified to do this work and they just haven't researched it enough because there's so much I mean as much as I have studied all of my life I still feel like I know nothing and I'm still a student you know and I have clients all over the world and um it's just there's just so much to it, really. I mean, you're dealing as, as long as humans have been around, we've been doing this. We're storytellers, but we're also healers, and um, you know, there's a reason why we still do it because it works. You know, Lisa, we work in my team. We work with uh, you know Jesus and God and angels, and we help a lot of people out and do things like that. But we come across a lot of people like you're talking about the Ouija board, but more even just more than Ouija. The Wiccan world, you know, the witches and stuff have gotten so popular. There's been articles lately about how it's the huge cult that keeps growing and growing. And a lot of these people who practice Wiccan, we find out, they have no idea what they're doing. They're casting spells, they're reading, and then they open these things up, but they don't know how to close them. And then mm -hmm. the, the deeper they get, the more distraught they get. And all of a sudden, these, these dark things start happening to these people. And they're like, I need help. But we're like, if you're not going to quit doing what you're doing, we can't help you. You know, well, yeah. If you don't turn, turn back towards God, how can we help you if you're going to be, right. you know, what you're doing? Well, yeah, it, it, it's again, you know, I liken it to, um, you know, a lot of these people have good intentions. They want to help. They want to cast love spells or, you know, there's so many people who like energy healers. They want to help you to transform something, but they don't understand, like, if you're running energy and for some reason for whatever reason, if they gump into where they're actually tra channeling, whether it's whether you want to call it chi or whatever, I've had clients come to me that energy healers have actually made them sicker because they have fed energy into the tumors and the tumors are growing. They're feeding the tumors because they don't know what they're doing. 
<laughs> and the same thing with whether it's, you know, Wicca and, and paganism and, and voodoo and voodoo and all these things have been around forever. And there are people who understand and have mastered what they are doing, their, their, uh, their craft. They, they recognize it, they honor it, they respect it, and they do their research and their homework, where a lot of these people, they're looking at YouTube videos and then, th- then think they're a Wiccan and think they're going to cast some spells, and then they start doing stuff and they realize, uh-uh, you know, there was something that that YouTube person left off <laughs> or they just don't understand and they just haven't, they're just uneducated. And, you know, there's an old saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. They may want to help you, whether it's that energy healer, that light worker, that tarot card reader, that Wiccan, whatever, but you need to do your homework before engaging and hiring somebody to do that because they can really cause more harm than good, regardless of what their intentions were. <laughs> You know, it can be a problem, and then people like you and I have to come in and try to help, you know, fix things. But if they're not going to stop it, it's just when anyone comes to me as a client, whether it's for any kind of transformational work, whether it's a lot of people come to me for cancer because they know my mom's story. My mom was diagnosed with cancer and given six to six months to a year to live, and she ended up living almost 30 years after that diagnosis because I worked on her all my life. That's, That's when awesome. I was 10 years old and I started working on her. So, um, you know, it's. It's not something to be toyed with lightly. And again, these people are sitting at home watching, you know, TV shows or again, watching YouTube videos or reading stuff on the Internet. And then they think they know what they're doing and they don't. Let me ask you a question, because I watched something a few weeks ago that really kind of hit home. And these people who do spells and these different things that they're trying to conjure things. You know, mm-hmm. this wasn't somebody just sitting around and said, I'm going to throw some of this in this. I'm going to play around and try to see what I can conjure. These things had a beginning at one point, and it probably came from demons or dark side or some dark entity taught somebody how to do this. It wasn't just somebody yeah. sitting around saying, oh, I could throw this spice in here. I can do this. I can do this. It's going to create this. That They were taught this, and this thing's been passed along from the dark side originally. You believe that? Or? Yeah, because, I mean, if, if someone has a proclivity to it and they're curious about it, because I, I approach my work with a childlike sense of play because sometimes people get so serious. And when you're so serious, you're, you're already locked into the result. It's like, I'm going to heal you. You know, well, it's like, well, I tell people, you may see a difference. You may not. It may play out over a period of time. It may happen instantaneously. I have no attachment to that. I don't know. I have no control over that. What I do have is my power to command things and to shift energy and like all these other things. But, um, you know, when these, when these people are messing with this, and like I said, when, when someone comes to a client came to me, this lady came to me, I was at an expo. I was, I was a featured speaker and I had a booth and whatever. And she came up and I immediately kind of read what was going on with her. I'm kind of scanning her. And she said, well, I hear you do this type of energy healing. I mean, I've studied different modalities. I've studied matrix energetics, you energy, all these different ones. She goes, I want a matrix energetic session. And I scanned her and I said, well, okay, but what's popping up to me is soul loss. And I just started telling her what I saw. And, you know, so that's, you know, when you're, when you're looking for something, for someone to work with you, there really needs to be a lot of dialogue. And like for me, I'll pay attention to things. And I have certain 
things that I trust, but if something random pops up, I always pay attention to it. And then I explore and I ask questions. You got to get curious, you know, get curious about the person that's sitting in front of you asking for a session or asking for help. Well, okay. You know, you, you said you've done these spells and now you've opened up these portals and like, well, you know, well, how did that idea even come to you? Because they could have been doing something and all of a sudden they have made themselves open to letting those other forces, whatever they are, especially if they're negative forces, to come and kind of whisper in their ear like the little devil on the shoulder, you know, whispering, why don't you do this spell or why don't you get out the Ouija board? So, you know, when I'm doing healing work, I mean, I, I can discern the difference because I've done it so much. It's a muscle that I have built up. I'll say, well, you know, this is what I'm sensing, whatever, and I will just keep asking questions. I not only ask them questions, but I'll I'll check in with my guides. I'll just check in, kind of drop down into, I always drop down into my heart. And if something's not feeling right, I always pause and then I pursue that further. It's like, well, what is wrong about this? Or what is not feeling right about this? And a perfect example was um, I had a, a mother and a father contact me, their daughter, had a lot of stuff going on. Bottom line, she was in the hospital in a medically induced coma. She was in renal failure. She was dying. This young girl was like 18 years old and she was dying. And they wanted to save their daughter. Well, I sent them out because they're, they're, they were so emotional. It was kind of interfering with things. I said, you know what? I need you to step out. I need to be alone with her. I dropped down into my heart. And then I kind of in my mind, I have this little room set up where I kind of like a conference room. And I called in her soul, her oversoul or spirit, whatever. And I said, your parents have called me in to help you. You know, do I have your permission? And she said, no. Oh, my God, that's the first time that it ever happened to me. And I'm like, um, okay, then what the heck am I doing here? <laughs> I'm going to have to come out of this. You know, I'm going to have to open my eyes and then go out in the hall and tell your mother that, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm like, there's got to be a reason I'm here. So, again, I got curious, and I still had that, you know, coming from a place of play, you know, like children do, that curiosity of, well, let's see, let's, what, what was this? Well, what her, her oversoul ended up revealing to me was this girl was meant to be a healer herself, and she had never had any experience with it, and I was to mentor her to help her get on her true path, and so we're having this conversation and he said, well, since I'm here and since you're in a coma and dying, can I at least give you a little oomph, you know, maybe just a little something, something to get you out of this coma and out of this hospital bed and, and then recommend books for you to read <laughs> and then recommend teachers for you. And she goes, Oh, okay. <laughs> so I did my thing, you know, I, I spent like almost three hours in that room with her and then, you know, I came out and I told her parents, I said, you know what, she's sleeping, check in with me in another day or two. The next day she woke up out of the coma and this girl ended up going on to, she started training as a massage therapist. She started studying Reiki. She studied all these things. And now she has a wonderful practice helping people. And her, you know, her confidence came from, you know, also me working with her, but her getting herself out of that situation. I'm all, because I try to empower my clients. I don't want to be like a, a psychologist or psychiatrist or some kind of therapist where I see you every week for the rest of your life. I don't want to do that. I don't, <laughs> I want to see you once, maybe a couple, two or three times, 
you know, and as you peel away layers, more and more stuff happens. And it's like, well, okay, this week we're dealing with health. Well, next week maybe we'll deal with your finances or you deal with your career or whatever. Um, it's, you know, very multifaceted, but, uh, you know, it's, it's about curiosity and asking questions and then listening not only to what the person says, but what they don't say, and also what your intuition, what your guides are, who, whatever you check in with, what's your gut telling you, you know, too. Do you ever do you ever run into, uh, well, just to make the story line here, we've got people out here right now, and you mentioned reality TV, where they, especially in what we do as paranormal investigators, who will watch something on paranormal uh, reality TV, and then they'll go out without knowing what they're doing and do all kinds of uh techniques that were used on the tv including yelling at spirits and stuff like that being in the business well not business but being in the the gift that you have and what you do for your clients have you ever run into situations where a paranormal team that didn't know what they're doing caused more harm than good and you had to come in and kind of help out to fix the situation well yeah i mean there's so many different situations i mean you know but but people who don't know what they're doing I tell people this. I told this one fella who who was doing it out here in Southern California. I said, if you came into my house uninvited and started yelling at me, what kind of reaction do you think you'd get? <laughs> Sounds Seriously. like you, Kevin. So, yeah, right. You know, it, it's it's and and that's you know what I tell people about like when you, when you want to connect with your spirit animal or you know even with your ancestors or your your grandpa who passed away, it's about your relationship and how you communicate with these things. You can catch more flies with honey than you can with vinegar. So, you know, like when I'm taking spirit photos, um, my mom on the anniversary of her passing and almost on the anniversary of her birthday, she had been trying to communicate with me. And I was, I was awakened several times. I felt like somebody was grabbing my toe or grabbing my feet, you know, like, when I was in bed under the covers, but all of a sudden someone would grab my feet and I would start and my phone rang at one point, my cell phone and no number came up, but it didn't say non-published. It just, it just had dashes. And then the voicemail was all white noise, but my gut went, that was mom and creepy stuff started happening. And I went to work one day and I lived about nine miles from work to the office and I'd been, I'd been at work for about an hour, and my husband at the time called me up, and he went, where are you? I said, I'm at work. What do you mean? He goes, someone just said hi to me. Now, I'm five foot five, and he was six foot six, almost six foot seven, and he said he was in the kitchen, and all of a sudden, in his right ear, someone said, hi, and he said it sounded exactly like my voice, and I just giggled, and I said, that was mom." because my mother and I have the same voice and she had been wandering around the house. Well, that, that evening when I got home, I got a phone call from my friend who's very psychic and I write about her in the book. I call her Mary and um, I have known her since 1999 and everything she has ever said has come to pass. She's really freaky good. Um, she called me up and she'd never been to my home in Los Angeles. And she said, I had to call you. I said, why? She goes, your mother has been trying to get your attention and you're just not paying attention. You're just missing all the cues and all the signs. And I go, like what? She goes, well, like the phone call. And I just stopped in my tracks. I went, oh my God. And I said, okay, well, what should I do? And she said, go to your dining room where your mom's stuff is and start taking photos. And I went, uh, okie dokie. 
<laughs> so we talked a little bit. Now, Tara, or her, her name is Mary, but um, she had never been in my house. She didn't know where the dining room was, but my mother had told her this. And in my dining room was my mom's china cabinet full of her tchotchkes and a big mirror. And I have this picture. This picture has been on several ghosts and angels websites and whatever, and it's in the book. So I just shot off about 200 photos, and there was this giant bright streak. And there she was. But it was just about me. I wasn't paying attention. Even with all the obvious signs, you know, this psychic came. So when you know, when paranormal investigators go, especially to, like, areas, like, you know, whether the cemeteries or, or buildings, like churches or houses, you got to remember you're in somebody you're on somebody else's turf you're on somebody else's house and you got to find a way to communicate like if if this house is supposedly haunted by people from the 17th or 18th century if you ask them to take a selfie they don't know what that is they don't know what a picture is if you ask them may i please take your portrait will you please slow down and talk to them in ways that they'll understand you know, like um, civil civil war, you know, battle areas and different areas where a lot of people were massacred. It's really active. But again, you're not going to ask them, you know, if you say, I want to take your picture, that doesn't really mean anything to them, even though photography was around. But the word portrait, they'll understand. So again, know your audience. Know who you're talking to. Are you talking to, you know, are you trying to talk to your dead grandpa versus an ascended master or a guardian angel or spirits that were known to live in that house or, or, you know, be on that land. You got to know who your audience is because it's going to be different. You're not going to talk to, you know, a toddler the same way you're going to talk, you know, to a grown up with a, with a PhD and masters and, you know, they, it's just different. Know your audience. Okay. We only got a couple minutes left, but I got to ask you this because it's in your book and we've talked about this in our past shows too. Santa Fe, you you talked about uh, you know previous lives and all that when you were in Santa Fe. Can you kind of give us that story and tell us about you know past lives, your experience with that? Um, the first time I ever went to Santa Fe in this lifetime, I, I had booked one of those tours of the Southwest. So you know you meet at a hotel and you load up a bus and then you drive around all these different points. Well, we got there and I immediately knew the layout of the land. And these ladies were over in a dining room area talking about they wanted to see that church with the with the spiral staircase. What is it? I looked over and I said, that's the Laredo Chapel. It's three blocks down, two blocks over. And, my, and this other lady that I had been talking to previously, she goes, I thought you said you'd never been here before. I said, I haven't. She said, well, how do you know where it's at? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I said, but we've got an hour till dinner to kill, so let's go see if it's where I said it was. And it was. Well, fast forward about seven years, I moved to Santa Fe. I don't have an apartment. I got a job, so I was living in a hotel, and I'm looking for apartments. I autom- As I'm driving to an appointment, I pull into this driveway because I see apartment for rent. After I sign the lease, the landlord tells me, oh, you know, this property used to be owned by the, chap- the Laredo Chapel, the Sisters of Laredo, and the, the nuns that worked at the chapel, you know, or, or the, served at the chapel lived here. <laughs> I went, the Laredo Chapel, again, seriously? And... The apartment that I lived in was the groundskeeper's apartment. And there was a lot of activity in the apartment. Things were falling off, rolling across the floor. You know, I was always hearing stuff move. And I noticed I kept getting woken up about 4 o'clock in the morning, about 3.30, 4 o'clock. And I noticed out of the, again, out of my peripheral vision, 
it looked like a little old man in a white T-shirt, a white undershirt, with his socks on and his boxers. He would go over to the closet, and every night or every morning, he would take off his britches off the off a hook, one leg in, one leg in, and then he'd put the the uh, suspenders on and he'd walk out. Well, it turns out that was the groundskeeper, but that's a loop. Because even when I tried, so then I started to try to interact with him, but I didn't, and I realized it was a time loop. And every morning at 4 a.m., this guy was getting up, and that was just imprinted on that particular property. Um, I had a lot of experiences. On that initial bus tour, we made this one stop, and when I got out, as soon as my foot hit the ground, I could taste blood in my mouth, and I felt like the, the ground was squishing underneath me like blood-soaked mud. And I looked at the guy and I said, what happened here? And he goes, oh, yeah, you know, this year there was a massacre and blah, blah, blah. I said, yeah, I got it. I'm not getting off the bus. No worries. I'll just listen from here. So I've got a lot of Santa Fe stories. Um, you know, one of the huge chapels there, I've had interactions with the Madonna, the La Conquistadora, the Lady of, Our Lady of Our, Our Lady of Peace. And um, at that particular church, uh, St. Mark's Cathedral, the day after I had the um, interaction with the oldest Madonna in Northern America, who has also been blessed by the Pope, that night I had a dream. I was I was sitting in front of the church. I was on one of their benches, and they have a huge walking labyrinth there, meditation for meditation. And I was sitting there, and all of a sudden I noticed a priest on the bench to my left. And I started talking to him like, priest, you know, are you okay? And he wouldn't talk to me. But as soon as I said, is this your church, he looked around and I started talking to him. Well, we talked, 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 and finally the question popped into my mind, and I asked him, I said, do you believe in angels? And he said, well, I'm a priest, so I guess I do. And I said, no, that's not what I asked you, priest. Do you believe in angels? And he said, yeah. And I said, it's time for you to go home. And when I looked down, I, I held up my left hand to him, and my left hand was pure light. And then I kind of looked down on my lap, and I'm just all light, and he was very awestruck by me and but he took my hand and I walked him the center of the labyrinth had opened up to become a portal and I walked him across and I helped him cross over and um the next so when I woke up that next morning I called a friend who's a local there born and raised grew up in that church I said hey did you guys ever have a priest with big you know white a full head of white hair and these big glasses and she started crying she goes oh my god yeah and I said well I just had a dream I told her the dream and she goes, he was murdered. And in fact, I, she told me his story. I went online, and it was on Unsolved Mysteries. It's still a cold case. This priest was called out to do last rites out to the, uh, there's a rest stop just outside of Santa Fe going south on the way to Albuquerque. The priest, the, the church got a phone call for last rites. He goes out there. He was murdered, found later. They've never solved the case. I said, well, he was here on the front bench and I think I helped him cross over um you know but like I said I described him perfectly and I'd never met him before but my friend Julie knew exactly who he was Santa Fe is one of is, is the oldest sitting capital in America whether it was the Spaniards the French the white guys the Native American it's always been a sitting capital so there is so much history there um that's why it's really active New Mexico is really active, but especially the Santa Fe area. So what's your opinion? Because like I said, I'm trying to get everything in as we're going here. But what's your opinion on EVPs? Because I, I noticed when you sent me the text uh, 
messages that you worked with Mark Macy, um, who does EVPs, but he's also fe- uh, the consultant for White Noise, the movie. Uh, a lot of people don't believe in EVPs, but it looks like you do, and your experience with them, if you don't care, in about five minutes or less. Well, whenever I would do um, these psychic readings with my friend Mary, she would always use a cassette tape player and record it on a cassette tape. And I had several... Every tape that she's done has EVP on it, but the per- great example was my my father-in-law had passed over, and when she started talking about him in the session, the whole room smelled like um, musty old suits, and Mary had no idea about anything about my father-in-law. Well, in the four months before he passed away, he was sick for almost a year, and he'd had a lot of surgery, he'd broken his hip, but he was elderly, he was in his late 80s. But they ended up doing a tracheotomy on him, and he couldn't speak. And Mary was saying, you know, I'm having, he's struggling to talk, and I can't, I'm trying to hear him. And in the breaks, in between her trying to hear Danny, on the tape, you can hear a low growling kind of rumbling, like, uh, like you can hear his voice on the tape. So, you know, Mark Macy's a dear friend of mine. He and his wife are wonderful. Um, They've done a lot of interesting work. Um, very interesting work. Uh, and their work kind of dried up again because there was disharmony and lower vibrations in the group. They started arguing amongst themselves. And so the other side, side stopped communicating with them because again, the frequencies were mismatched. And, and my guides told me one time I, I called Mark and I said, you know, I know you're heartbroken. You know, you're having all these conversations with the other side. You guys are getting images on computers, your faxes, you're getting, phone messages from the other side and it stopped and i said well mark here's just something to consider the other side is outside of time and space so even though it's been several years for you it's been less than maybe a blink of an eye for them and they have no idea that they that years have passed and i think that's what we need to keep in mind when you're dealing with the other side they're outside of time and space so again you have to not only know who you're dealing with you know, know the players, but also realize, you know, what their realm is, what kind of, it's kind of like you wouldn't try to play basketball with a hockey puck on a football field. Know the rules of the game and what you're playing and who the players are, whether you're casting spells, whether you're ghost hunting, whether you're just doing transformational or healing work with people, you know, the, the more, knowledge and education you have coming into it, the better your results are going to be and you're going to be able to protect yourself and not get into trouble and then have to call me or you guys to get you out of it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes we can't get them out of it. I don't know about Kevin, but I have well, a hard yeah. time Well, yeah. I mean, sometimes there's something you, you can't do and you just go, well, this is so above my pay grade, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're running out of time here, Lisa, man. Can we bring you back on another day? Oh, absolutely. I'd love it. Oh, I, I, we loved having you on. Do me a favor. Tell a uh, quick synopsis about your book again, and then tell us how to get a hold of it. And if anybody needs to get a hold of you, how to do it real quick. Okay. Um, my name is Lisa. The last name is Ryan, R-H-Y-N-E. And I have a couple websites. It's lisaryan.com, which is pretty easy. And all my links to all my social media and my other websites are on lisaryan.com. The book is available online on Amazon. If you just type in either Lisa Ryan or the title of the book is Journey of a Dream Master. And 
it's the first in the trilogy, so it's the Dream Masters book one. The second book, which I'm finishing up now, it's going to be called Walking Between Worlds. It gets not only into more stories, but then it also, Walking Between Worlds is going to be, how do you do this? So I will also coach you and educate you and give you resources, whether it's books or teachers that I studied with or whatever. I'll go more into not only the stories. Journey of a Dream Master is a little bit about my background, my growing up, my relationship with my mother, which involved many, has involved many lifetimes. So, and it's just a lot of, it's a compendium of a lot of short stories. You know, here's what happened. You know, they're a page, page and a half. And I've tried to include photos. I've got photos of everything from orbs, light streaks. There's a couple of Polaroids. There's a Polaroid of me that's triple, which Polaroids can't be overexposed. So that's an interesting one. Um, so LisaRyan.com. Look up Journey of a Dream Master. It's on Amazon.com. I think also like Barnes & Noble, all the online retailers have it. Journey of a Dream Master, yeah. When did you say your second book was going to come out? Is it pretty soon or you just you have a date? Uh, well, we're in the final edit. So my hope is it's going to be this year, hopefully before Christmas. So hopefully before like October. But it's changed because I... I wanted to reveal in, in Journey of a Dream Master, I talk about, not to brag, but I, I actually zapped these five drunk chicks that were outside my hotel window. I zapped them into a parallel universe because they were just annoying the crap out of me. Um, <laughs> so in the second book, I started talking about, you know, navigating between realities and switching and doing parallel universes and things like that. And my guide said, no, you're not to include this particular bit of information. Because, again, going back to all those amateurs that are reading books or reading stuff online, who knows who could get that and use it and not know what they're doing and get into trouble. So it's gone through some interesting, um, you know, evolutionary edits um, <laughs> that I hadn't expected because I, I thought it was going to be out this, this January, this month. But, you know, the stories keep changing and the information keeps changing that I'm supposed to put in it, stuff I'm not supposed to put in it. So... I've, I've, I've learned from testing, <laughs> testing my boundaries and also the patience of my guardian angel that I need to listen because when I don't, you know, the consequences are even worse, you know, <laughs> well, you know let better. us know when it, yeah, let us know when it comes out. We'll announce it on the show. So everybody will jump out there and get it for you. How's that? Wonderful. But the dream master, a uh, journey of a dream master is out there. It's getting great reviews. You know, there's about 15, 16 reviews online and editorial re reviews by people like Daniel Brinkley, Hank Wesselman. Uh, Dr. Eric Montgomery. So, you know, so there's some feedback on there. And, and on my website, on LisaRyan.com, there's also fan photos, like from people all over the world, from the Netherlands, from all over. So it's a lot of fun. It's been interesting to get feedback from people, you know, sharing their experiences. And one woman was diagnosed with breast cancer and she got the book and she had a healing just from having that book in her possession. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks for being on tonight, Lisa. Oh, yeah, thank, thank you. you so much. Yeah, now folks, don't remember next week we got a, a couple special guests. If you remember the show Ghosts from Shepherdstown, reality TV, uh, we're going to have Bill and Carissa Hartley on next week, so make sure you don't miss that. And if you have uh, want to see some of the pictures or catch up to dates on what's going on with us, it's uh, KentuckyGhostHunter.com is the website. And of course, you can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So until next week at 9 p.m. Central Time, this is the Kentucky Ghost Center with Kevin Quatman saying good night and see you next week. Real